A lot about the cross, a lot about redemption this morning, and that's where we stand today. Sinners redeemed only by the precious blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. You may be seated now. I want you to do something in our prayer time. Take out your phone, and I want you to text somebody that's on your heart today. There may be somebody that is recuperating from surgery. Uh, pray for Nola. My sister-in-law, she had surgery the other day on her foot and is having a lot of pain from that. Uh, I think about uh, other people in our church who have gone through some things. And uh, they just may need a word of encouragement today. And this is part of Hebrews 10, 24, stimulating others to love and good deeds by knowing that you care. Someone said, I was listening to a sermon this morning, no one is ever encouraged enough. Think about that. Everybody is under-encouraged. We always need more. And so uh, just send a quick text to somebody and just tell them, said, I'm praying for you right now. I love you and I'm praying for you. Just something simple like that. And then uh, hit send. And as you hit send, breathe a prayer for them and ask God to bless them today. You never know what that might mean to somebody who thinks that they're all alone this morning, thinks that they might be forgotten that thinks that uh, nobody really cares or anything. Well, your word of encouragement like that can mean an awful lot. So go ahead and think about that and send it. And let's bow for prayer, okay? Father, as we think about so many people looking around in a world today and they don't know where to place their hope. They've tried placing it in a career. They've tried placing it in a relationship. They've tried placing it maybe in drugs or alcohol. They've tried placing it maybe even in a church. And we sang earlier that all I have is Christ. And please forgive us if even as Christian people sometimes we lead other people to believe that our hope is in our circumstances or our friends or even in our church attendance or those type of things. All of those are wonderful gifts from you, but they're not our source of hope. And so we want to come to you today to say, first of all, first of all, may we individually make sure that our anchor is cast upon Christ and we are trusting in Him alone for our salvation and that our hope is in Him and we're not falling for all of the other stuff that is going on around us. And secondly, help us to be clear about that. Help us to be bold, but also to be clear, to be understood. That when we talk about things, we're not just talking about getting moral or getting things in order or being a better person. We're talking about coming to Jesus Christ as hopeless, hell-bound sinners and trusting in what He did alone for our salvation. And to understand that a resurrected Christ changes everything. A Christ who sits on the throne, ruling and reigning over this world, it changes everything for us. And may we teach them and model for them people who have faith in the promises of God. Now, Lord, I pray also, is there something practical that we can do? And uh, maybe sending out a text is not enough. Maybe there's something else we could do and some other way we could show the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. And maybe we could do it not just to people we know, 
But maybe you would bring a stranger into our path even this week. Maybe somehow we would have a neighbor that's in some type of need that we could encourage them, that we could help them. Would you open up doors? We as your people want to be witnesses for Christ. But sometimes, especially in this COVID-19 thing, we find ourselves isolated and cut off and afraid to approach people and unsure of what to do. Well, Lord, would you bring some people across our path? And would you open doors that no man can shut? And would you let us have opportunities to testify of Jesus this week? And would you heal those that are sick? Would you comfort those who are grieving? Would you assure those who are uh, uncertain? And would you save those who are lost and use us for your kingdom's sake? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Exodus. Anybody know where Exodus is by this point? And we are at chapter 13. Now, as we uh, go to this chapter, we are going to kind of hear some of the same things that we've heard before. And uh, some people may be saying, well, you know, how much of this why don't they just get going? Well, this is more than a story. Exodus is a part of the law of God. He's giving them instruction. He's giving them regulations. But he also keeps giving them, as we're going to talk about today, pictures, promises, and preservation. Pictures, promises, and preservations. That's going to be the outline of what we talk about this morning out of these verses. Now... Why do we need all of these pictures? Have you ever seen a photo album with just one picture in it? That's kind of sad. And maybe it's a historical picture. Maybe there's only one photograph of your great-great-grandparents. And that's the only one that you've got. But let's pull into modern day. Okay? I want you, I dare you, I dare you, go up to my wife and ask her to show you just one picture of a grandchild. How many pictures do you think she has? All you have to do is come over to our house. They're on the wall. They're everywhere you look. They're in a basket over here. They're on her phone. They're all over the place. Because when you love something and you love someone, you tend to have multiple pictures of it. So what God is doing for us in the book of Exodus is giving us so many pictures of the redemption that we have in Christ because he loves his son and he loves what his son has done for us and he loves us as the people of God who have put our faith in him. And when you open up the book of Exodus, you see a photo album with picture after picture after picture after picture of the joy and the delight of his heart. And what is that? The redemption of Jesus Christ. So as we read this and read these verses today, let this not just be a, a here we go again, we know all of this, let this be a time where you're looking at a photo album of God's love for you and the redemption, the price that he paid through the shed blood of Christ for you. And it's in picture form. So let's go to 13, Exodus 13, and let's begin reading in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, 
it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. You couldn't have done it yourself. It was the Lord. Now no leavened and leaven is yeast. No bread with yeast shall be eaten. On this day, for you are going out uh, in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers, your ancestors, to give you a land flowing with Milk and honey. Milk, the things that you need for life. Honey, the sweetness on top of that. That you shall keep this service in this month, this particular month. Verse 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Not just Passover. okay? And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in your quarters or even in your house. Get it all out. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. And it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Year after year after year. Verse 11. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord. You sacrifice them, in other words. But every firstborn of a donkey... You shall redeem with a lamb. You offer a lamb on the sake of the donkey. Isn't that interesting? And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Kind of gruesome, isn't it? And all the firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. In other words, you offer a lamb on behalf of them. Verse 14, so it shall be when your son, and I'm thinking the firstborn son, ask you in time to come, saying, What is this? And you shall, that you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass that when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. And therefore I sacrifice to the Lord... All males that opened the womb, but the firstborn of my sons I redeemed. Something dies in their place, in other words. Verse 16, it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord 
brought us out of Egypt. Now, with that being said, did you notice how many times certain things are repeated? The Lord's hand did this. It was, it was not because of you or Pharaoh or anyone else. This was the Lord's hand. Notice how many times he says something like, this was the land that I made an oath to give to you, and I made the oath to your forefathers some 400 years before. How many times the Lord says that? How many times he talks about the firstborn? How many ta times he talks about shedding of blood? Those types of things. Now, in the Old Testament particular, remember, whenever you see something repeated, it's not just because maybe the Lord thought you might be forgetful or had the uh, memory span of a goldfish or something like that. It's because he wants to emphasize it. He wants you to get that. That's putting it in bold print, large font, so that you really emphasize it. It's like a headline in a newspaper. He wants you to get that and understand it. And he is telling us this because we, as the people of God, and they as the people of God, have this tendency to kind of forget what the Lord has done in the past. We want to bring it up to date. What have you done for me lately. But what God did in the past was so important and so significant to who we are now and where we are now and how the Lord is working now. He never wants us to forget it. So the first thing we want to talk about today is the Lord gives us what I'm going to call pictures. Pictures of grace. Pictures of redemption. Pictures of salvation. When you look through this thing, you find that there's, the, uh, of course, the emphasis upon the firstborn. And that would have been very fresh to them because that last plague was to kill all of the firstborn, human and animal, in the land of Egypt. Well, they were in the land of Egypt. So how is Israel going to escape? They were sinners who deserved the judgment of God too. And remember God said, take that lamb, that unblemished lamb, and you kill it, and then you put the blood on the doorpost of your home, and that when the destroyer, the death angel, comes, he will pass over every house that has the blood on it. That's a picture of our salvation. We too condemned all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. But here's a great uh, uh, statement for us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by that it means through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we sang about in nearly every song this morning. And I want you to think about the picture that God has given in uh, these verses for us of redemption by blood for the firstborn of Israel. It's also a picture of Christ. He was the unblemished lamb. He was also the firstborn of Mary. But it also is the picture of why should the firstborn of Israel be spared? And the only reason is because someone innocent died in their place. That's the only hope that you and I have. Understand that in this picture here, it talks about when a donkey is born, a stubborn, ignorant donkey, an unclean animal... What do you do? You either offer a lamb for it or you break its neck. You know, in those days, they didn't hesitate because um, animals, they didn't go to a supermarket and buy meat already butchered. They butchered everything themselves. This was common to them. They wouldn't have, you know, been revolted by this anyway at all. This was a part of life 
for them, killing of animals. And God said, here's the regulation. When the firstborn of a donkey is born, you either offer a lamb for it or you destroy it. And that is a picture of the way we were. We're the donkey. We're the unclean ones. We're the stubborn ones. We're the ones without knowledge. And it's either that we trust in what Christ has done for us or we face the destruction of dying and spending an eternity in hell. They're just all kinds of pictures of our redemption in this verse, in these verses. But what about the unleavened bread? Where the sacrifice for the firstborn reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ and our salvation, the unleavened bread. Think about that, the yeast. In the Bible, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, leaven is referred to as something that is sinful. And so what God is saying to us is get the sin out of your life. You've been saved, you've been redeemed, now get the sin out of your life, out of every part of your life, even out of your house for that seven days. And seven is a number of completion. And I believe that the unleavened bread and the feast of the unleavened bread is a picture of our sanctification. God is removing sin from our lives. He's removing the influence of sin. Remember the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, a little leaven, just a little leaven, leavens the whole lump of dough. And so God is saying, don't just get the big things out of your life. Don't just make it to where your performance is acceptable to other people. Get rid of all of it in your heart in your thoughts, in your motives. Get rid of all of it so that the power of sin is broken in your life. So that sin, as Romans says, no longer has dominion over you. You're not addicted to anything. You're not controlled by anything. You are free from all of that because your life is that picture of the unleavened bread. And then several times... The scripture in here talks about when your son asks you about it. And then it also talks about that your work, uh, your life with the Lord and your understanding and your testifying of this is supposed to be as if you had put something between your eyes, frontlets, that everybody notices and wrapped around your hand something that everybody can notice, everybody can see. Now, later, the Jews would actually literally do that, and they would put things that would be between their eyes with leather straps tying it together that would have a portion of the Word of God or words from the law of God in it and on their hand as a reminder of who they are and a testimony of who they are. Now, it's not commanded in these verses. It says, let it be like that. You know what he was saying? Let your life and your obedience to God be a public thing. Some people say, well, my relationship with Jesus, it's just between me and him, and I just keep all of that private. These verses are saying that the people of God ought to be up front. We ought to be public about our relationship with the Lord. It ought to be visible. It ought to be known. And we certainly ought to be telling our children and our grandchildren about the promises of God. Telling them the stories of the miracles that God has done. Telling them the stories in the Word of God about a mighty God who loved the world and gave His Son on the cross to be the sacrifice for the sins of all who would put their faith in Him. 
to tell the story of a creation that we're not here by random chance. We're not just mutations. We're not just highly evolved animals. We're made in the image of God. To talk about a God who holds all things together. To talk about a God who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our devotion, and worthy of our obedience. God calls his people to live obedient lives. This is the picture that you find in here through the sacrifices for the firstborn, through the feast of the unleavened bread, and through the uh, frontlets and the telling of our children. We are to be evangelistic. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are to be sharing these things so that it goes on and on and on and on and it outlives us. Our witness should outlive us. Those are the pictures. You ought to study them sometime. You ought to look through sometimes the Bible and find out all the references to lambs and all the references to sacrifices and all of the references to donkeys, for example, and see the picture that God has in there for you and for your life and for us as a New Testament church. Secondly, I want you to think about the promises that are in here. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God told the nation of Israel, I'm going to give you a future and a hope. Well, I see that in these verses here. God says, I am going to deliver you, and this deliverance is going to set you free from Pharaoh's power. You'll no longer be under his dominion, under those taskmasters. You are going to be free. But it also is telling them about a future Going to a land that is presently inhabited by Hivites and Jebusites and Canaanites and all kinds of people like that. And what is he going to do? He's going to give you that land. Well, what right do we have to that land? Well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you know what God does? He gives the lands and the continents to whomever he pleases and whomever he chooses. And he tells the people, I made an oath to Abraham. And I'm a God who cannot lie. I'm a God who keeps my words. And so you, my redeemed ones, by my mighty hand, you're being brought out of Pharaoh's dominion. You're being brought out of Egypt, which was an impossibility for them. And then I'm going to take you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's going to provide all of your needs, and then it's going to be sweet on top of that because it's going to be your land. These slaves had never owned any lands before. They had farmed a lot of land. They had made a lot of bricks, but not for themselves. They had had crops come in and they had harvested those crops, but they weren't their crops. They were given to someone else. They had built cities, but they weren't their cities. They were someone else's cities. And God said, the sweetness of this land is it's going to be yours. That house you live in will be your house where you raise your family and you will pass that land on to your descendants. Ah, oh, how sweet that must have been for these slaves. The work that I do will be for my benefit, my family's benefit, and it will be passed on as something that is inheritable to my kids and to my grandkids and my great-grandkids, and on and on and on it goes. A future and a hope. Deliverance 
from sin, deliverance from the dominion of Pharaoh, and hope you're going to have a future in that land that I am going to give you. I think about all of the promises that God gives us. And I think about Warren Wiersbe's statement that is so true. God's children do not live by explanation, but they live by promise. And there are a lot of things in life that we don't understand right now. But as the old hymn says, we'll understand it better by and by. We've got promises of a future. We've got the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. No matter who's in the White House, no matter what the government does, no matter what the pandemic may be, no matter what the economy may be, it doesn't matter. God is always with us. We have the promises that all things are working together for our good. We're the ones who love God and we've been called according to his purpose. And God tells us, whatever it is you're going through, look for the silver lining. And even if you don't see the silver lining right now, hang on, you will one of these days. I think one of the joys of heaven is going to be seeing how our lives and our trials and our sufferings and the things we didn't understand, how many of those things are going to be working together in a way we never could really figure out, we never could really understand. Promises that God gives us that give us hope and we hold on to those promises as we go through the dark times, as we go through the tough times, as we go through the hard times, knowing that our God has made promises to us that he is going to fulfill. Oh, that must have blessed these people to know that the God who swore to Abraham, this is the land I'm going to give your descendants. This is the God who is working all of this out 400 years later in their own lives. But the third thing that I noticed is that God is giving the Jews some tools here. They're going to work for their preservation. Now, we read about some different people groups. How many of you are, uh, you've done your ancestry DNA and you are a descendant of the Hivites? Anybody? Nothing like that? Canaanites? Any Canaanites in here? Surely there's some Jebusites somewhere in here, right? Any termites? <laughs> Got to be something like that, right? Isn't it interesting that when you look and you see all of these things that are mentioned in history, mentioned in the Bible, that were contemporaries of the Jews, you don't see any of them around. Now, Egypt is still there, but Egypt is nothing like it was back in those days. Their religion is different, their culture is different, all of that. But there is one people group, one people group that still survive. What is that? Israel. Thousands of years of history. They've not been blended in. They've not been forgotten. In fact, today, miracle of miracles, the descendants of Abraham have remained distinct. They are in the land that God swore to Abraham. And they're speaking a language that people considered to be a dead language and they speak it in everyday life in Israel. Why? Because this is what God promised. And God gave them some things in these verses that we just read, some things 
that will preserve a culture. Now, when these things die, when these things are abandoned, culture doesn't matter and everything just kind of falls apart. And that's why there are so many ancient nations that you can't find, you can't even find their descendants. But the Jews remain. It's the power of God and it's in obedience to God. Now, I want you to think about some of these things in here because, um, well, they're very, very, very important here and they're important to uh, the Jews. Think about this. First of all, there is just faith or belief in God. Not just any God, but the right God, the true and the living God. And this is why God so often identifies himself when he's talking to a prophet or when he's talking to someone in the Old Testament. I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, this may be hundreds and thousands of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived, but God still identifies himself. He ties them back to their roots. I'm the same God that spoke to your forefathers. I am the same God who, he says in Exodus 20 at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, who brought you out of bondage of Pharaoh. This is the God that you serve. Not the God of your choice, not just any God you would like to serve, but the God, the true and the living God. And this, of course, gives accountability. And this gives um, uh, a tie to purpose and a tie to worship. And all of those things are controlled uh, by the Lord. And so in this preservation, the fact that they knew the Lord and God revealed themselves to him, this is an amazing thing. Think about also they have a cultural history. When you open up your Bible, particularly the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when Stephen was uh, before the council, before he was stoned, he gave a whole history of the nation of Israel without notes, an oral history of it. Paul would do that in different places. But the Old Testament particularly, in particular is filled with the stories of heroes, the stories of prophets, but not only the successes, but also the failures. We can look in David's life and we see this man after God's own heart, the man who stood before Goliath and killed him. That's a great story. Boy, that's a one for the history books, right? But also the story of Bathsheba and his adultery with her and the killing of Uriah is in there. There's something about the Old Testament that gives history for the Jewish people of their successes and also their failures. Because there's a lesson to be learned from both, isn't there? The culture is preserved in all of that. The other thing, notice that they have perpetual traditions. Why do we need to? I mean, we're out of it. We've been out of Egypt for a hundred years. Why do we still need to have this Passover? Because you dare not forget it. That was a pivotal moment. You must not forget it. And you tell your children. And every year at Passover to this day, the youngest child says, Why is this night different than all other nights? And then the father tells the story of the Jews' enslavement in Egypt and how they were brought out and they recite the plagues and all of those kind of things. God said over and over, this is to be done perpetually because you need to remember where you came from and you need to remember what God has done for you. Notice also 
You not only find these perpetual traditions. Well, I even thought of this. When Paul and Silas were in the jail at Philippi singing at midnight, it is significant that they both knew the same songs. There's something about tradition that binds us together, particularly in the hard times. We hold on to those. They're meaningful to us, and we dare not let those things go. Notice also, too, there's a strong statement here about private property. This is the land I am going to give to you. You're going to own it. You're going to farm it. You're going to raise crops on it. You're going to have your flocks on it. You're going to pass it on to your children. It'll be family land. These are your lambs that you are sacrificing. These are your sacrifices that you give unto the Lord. And so God gives it all to them and they are to be good stewards and they are to worship with what God has given to them. And then notice also this makes a strong statement about the nuclear family. There's a mother there's a father. They are married. They are raising their children together. And their children are living on that same land. And grandchildren. And all of that is being passed on. There's no buddy wandering around here saying, Oh, it doesn't matter. We can have sex anytime we want with anyone that we want. God was very clear they were to be happy. that was only to happen in the context of a loving and committed and covenant relationship for the well-being of the children and for the passing on of the faith to them. And as a result, all of these thousands of years later, you don't hear anything about the wicked and immoral people that inhabited that land, but you do hear about the Jews because these were things that held them in place. Can I ask you a question? Can you agree with me that these things are under attack in our society? Every single one of them. Every single one of them. The enemy is trying to destroy us. And by us, I don't just mean America, even though I can make a case for all of this, that these things have been under attack for 40, 50 years at least as liberals and as the enemy tries to dismantle these things to take us and the heritage that we have as Americans and just make it go to nothing and we disintegrate into the sands of time and become indistinguishable from anyone else. But I also would like to say this. This is happening in the church as well. You find so many things in the church. And I know times change. We dress differently and styles are different. We have air conditioning now. Praise God for air conditioning. And all of those things that we do that are different than the early church. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the substance of who we are. I'm talking about walking by faith in the Lord. Learning who the Lord is. Not just coming to church to get something that will get us through another week. But coming to church where we actually learn about the God of the Bible. The God who rules and reigns the universe. So that our theology is deep and our theology is sound and that our faith is strong because we don't know what we're going to be up against um, in times to come, do we? We need to understand that we have a, a culture here as a church. You and I are doing what Paul did. You and I are doing what Timothy did. You and I are doing what the early believers did as they got together and as they expounded the word of God and as they would sing and as they would pray and as they would give their offerings to the Lord and as they would witness to other people. We also have these perpetual traditions. Our 
worship services are patterned largely after what they did in the synagogue worship. But also, we are doing some of the same things that the early church would do. Sometimes we take a piece of unleavened bread and we recite the words, This is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat. And we take a cup and we say, this is my blood which was shed for you. The new covenant, the new testament is what that actually means. That is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And just like those martyrs and just like those prisoners and just like those persecuted people 2,000 years ago, we partake of the same things. And more importantly, we do it, as it says on the front of our Lord's Supper table, in remembrance of him and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and we dare not give up these things and we dare not change them just because the culture doesn't like it or just because it's different in Hollywood or on TV or anything we do what the Bible calls us to do and we do it perpetually we believe in private property that when you give your gifts unto the Lord you are giving what God has entrusted you with why do you give an offering just to pay the bills of the church or to pay the salaries yes it does do that but it also supports missions and above all it does something in your heart it makes you generous it reminds you how God has blessed you it reminds you that you didn't get this by yourself this is the blessing of God and God blesses you as you give and we are here as a church also to hold up the family because our God identifies himself as a father it was God who created us in the beginning male and female it was God who said for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and we are the salt and light that stands against all of the immorality, all of the premarital sex and extramarital sex, against pornography, against homosexuality, against all of those things that are destroying our culture, we stand up and we stand up gratefully for them. And because God is preserving us as believers, we also were able to be a force in preserving our nation, in preserving our friends and our neighbors and our family members against the rot of immorality as it creeps into our lives. And this is why we must never become casual about any of these things. But we stand in the truth. And while we stand in the truth, we do like the ancient Israelis did. We speak the truth in love. Love for people, but above all, love for our God who has redeemed us by his blood with a mighty hand to set us free and to give us a future and a hope. And it's all because of his plan and his love, his power, and let's not forget his amazing grace. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we conclude by saying, forgive us for our short memories. Forgive us for the times when we move on to kind of a what have you done for me lately mentality. Help us to look back and to remember Jesus and the power of the cross and the deliverance that we have. Help us to stand firm in those things that not only preserve us, but they cause us to be salt and light so that we are effective 
in even preserving the nation that you have given us. Let us be a force for righteousness, a force for evangelism and missions. Let us be a force, Father, for proclaiming you and loving you and demonstrating that in a very public, uncompromising, and yet loving way. And we pray that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.